Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. I will be the moderator uh, for us today, and it's a great pleasure to be with all of you, and I'm very excited that we will be celebrating and uh, digging a little bit deeply into the book that Roxanne has given birth to, and uh, it's very exciting because we have all heard of return on investments, and this is all return on our relationships. But before we start, uh, I would like us to take a little um, note of our housekeeping rules as well. I'd like everybody to keep their sound off, but keep your video on if you can. We decided it's fun to see your faces. And also we will put the speakers in pin when the slide is not on, so we'll see you. But otherwise, please feel free to have your slide on and the sound off. And also, we will start by having an interview, or, or first we'll have a little video, then we'll have an interview uh, with Roxanne, and then a panel. And all through the interview, you can ask questions and answers in the little chat box. And after, at a dedicated time, we'll give to that. And the same goes for the panel as well. Uh, so keep that in mind and write when you have it or save it for the dedicated time. Um, and we will also have some fun little uh, giveaways as we move forward into this um, session with uh, with books and signatures and some surprises at the very end. So please stay with us as we move forward. So I think we should start now with the dedication that Roxanne's son has uh, made um, to the grandfather. And uh, here's the panel. We'll share more of the panel as we move forward. Yeah. So let's go. Yeah, here is one of the giveaways we'll get as we will move forward. Uh, both signed copies of the ROR book, package of three books, coaching cards and coaching sessions are also going to be in the goodie bag, so to speak, towards the end. So thank you. A prince in the making, a diamond in the rough. Never quit or back down when things got tough. Never look for handouts, kickbacks or charity of any kind. His mental tenacity meant that he, would, he wouldn't be left behind. Stood head and shoulders above his peers. As he strutted to the village with the swagger of a peacock, he shared tales of his rich heritage. Blessed with the gift of the gab, handsome and ever so charming, quick-witted with a razor-sharp mind and a smile so disarming. Focused on his strengths and successes, learned from his follies and flaws, a bejeweling mix that left his competitors gasping and grasping at the straws. Climbed the corporate ladder with a leadership style of his own, a prince in the making, the heir to the, heir to the throne. An inspiration, inspirational leader with a work ethic hard to match, started a quality company that he built from scratch. A personal touch guaranteed, a customer's lifelong loyalty, a man of the people, he made them feel like royalty. Turned a Mazda to, into a Maserati, a Lancer into a Lamborghini, sold the dream that a Ford Escort was a good was as good as a Ferrari. A prince in the making, a family man with a past. Lost loves, broken hearts, relationships that did not last. Begged for, for, for forgiveness from those he hurt the most. Sought redemption, round, found salvation from every past and present ghost. He paid a price, a princely sum. It's time for him to bask in his glory, a prince in the making, the hero of his story, of his story. And that's the poem. <laughs> that was wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, these are relationships and uh, generational relationships, Roxanne. And uh, you wrote a book on return on relationships. And uh, I know it's typically meant for 
for consultants and the business, but it's so beautiful that you're sharing also these generational relationships from the home sphere, because whatever we are, we are who we are, the people we bring with us everywhere. And I'm so happy to introduce you here to today. And uh, certainly you are authentic sharing with us, your family uh, on the screen right now and the beauty. Um, and uh, Roxanne is a registered psychotherapist. She's a corporate consultant, a keynote speaker. She's a trainer and author. And she has more than 30 years of experience. She works with senior leadership to enhance their resilience and to assist companies with their corporate mental health strategies. She has presented at many, many conferences and companies and associations on mental health and wellness. And she's a BPOC leader. And Ro Roxanne is also a member of the Forbes Business Council. She's a share of women's, Forbes Women's Executive Business Council and also an Amazon best-selling author. She's a specialist on authentic leadership, I will say. And, uh, and that is a very important topic these days, authentic, also hard leadership. So um, Roxanne, I'm so excited to hear from you also a little bit of background for how you came about writing uh, the ROR book. Uh, what is your dream for it? What's the objective around the, the book? Uh, would you like to start sharing some of that and also some, some intentions with it, please? Well, I, I wrote the book because, you know, I started off obviously as a psychotherapist and I saw every possibility of the human condition from uh you know the front line when um you're meeting somebody in their dire uh, times around trauma all the way up to being at, at boardrooms and what i recognized was that you know the human condition is we all want the same we all want to feel good we want that peace of mind and when i kind of did my tenure with corporate um i didn't fit believe it or not because i wanted to be really, really collaborative. Like I wanted to involve everybody the same. And I often got told, that's not the way you do it, Roxanne. You know, you treat the people that report to you in a certain way. You treat the people on your level at a competitive level competitively. And then of course, you know, a people above you, you you give respect. And it, it, it just didn't sit very well with me. And that's when I thought, and seeing it across sectors, I thought, this is something that people need to recognize that shoulder to shoulder, even back then, um, made the most sense to me. And I think a lot of that comes from my beginnings in culture, like growing up in a little village in Trinidad, Tobago, um, even to the little city that I live here in Chippewa, um, uh, I needed connection. So I thought, why not write something that would expose people to what I thought uh, based on my kind of foray into um, the corporate world and how I live my life. Oh, this is um, really interesting. And I was thinking also when you said that, oh, you didn't really fit exactly. You wanted to build connections. And when we're talking about fitting, we talk also about being authentic. And we talk about uh, being authentic. <laughs> and you've written a lot about that. Can you also share with us a bit what, what do you mean by that? Authentic, what does it mean for you? And particularly authentic and even heart leadership um, in an authentic way. Well, I think the incongruence of, I don't have to be the same, depending on where I am, didn't fit, yeah. right? So I often say, if, if, I'm, if you're my boss or I'm your boss, and or you're my peer, or you're someone that I'm gonna see at the hockey rink, Stunning, typically Canadian, or someone at, at my church, um, why should I be different? Why should yeah. anyone be different? So I really wanted people to experience that. Like, you know, if you are truly, and I truly believe that this is a skill that any of us can achieve. So I often say I talk a little bit about, you know, the Dalai Lama and, and Oprah in the book and things like that. What we want to do is to just maximize our capacity to connect on a human level. And that's what I believe as a, a, you know, an authentic heart leadership. If you resonate with yourself and really get into awareness with who you are, what you value, what you believe, I truly believe, I call it concentric circles of intimacy, that you can actually project that out to others around you. And in turn, you're not, you may be hitting from your family, um, you know, to your friends, to your community and globally, um, when you're presenting to people that may see you um, doing your work, whether you're on stage, whether you're training or whether you're coaching them. 
Yeah, so you speak about self-awareness in the book and 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 this is very interesting. So how do you, uh, and now you talk about these concentric circles, can you share with us some of something else you write in the book about how we can become more self-aware as well? Well, you know, I, I talk about one of the leaders in the book and he owned a yeah. Canadian company and he talked yeah. a little bit about being a CEO very, very young. And along with that came the accolades of attaining, um, you know, that seat, I believe in his late 20s. And he talked about being a peacock and, he, you know, he sat up basically on his throne. And what started to happen was that eventually he went through things in his life that kind of put him um, in a spot where he, then he had to be vulnerable. And then at that point, he started to share a little bit about what he did. He, he actually like opened his door as a CEO, like figuratively speaking and physically speaking, where people could actually kind of get to know him. And he actually went out into the community and started to, you know, be on boards that were profit, you know, not for profit. And, and so people could get an idea of who he was. So I think with authentic leadership, what happens is unfortunately it takes a critical situation for people to, I'm going to say, come to their knees to be able to connect. Um, and I think it doesn't need to, it, it doesn't need to be something critical that we all can be in awareness as, on an ongoing basis so that we can kind of circumvent um, anything critical happening. We can make these changes and be in alignment to lead based on how we value yeah, this is a very hopeful message, as you're saying. We don't need a crisis or something cr critical to happen to us, but we can be in alignment uh, to to that e emerging, let's say. Um, you also talk about, um, one of the topics you talk about is also this balanced processes in your book. Can you share with us a little insight into what that is all about also? Balance processing is a fancy word for moral alignment with your decision-making. Yeah. So an example that I use in the book is when I was in Toronto and it was a SARS epidemic, not to date myself, anybody that remembers a SARS epidemic, but I was a, I was a uh, insective at that point. So we were going into the hospitals at that point. Now I got told as a senior executive that I didn't have to go in, but my assistant had to. And she had, our sons were um, basically a year on, or a year to 14 months. So there was a two month difference. And I said, uh, you know, I can't send her in. So I went uh, to my superiors to say, okay, my son's important, but so is her son. And she equally has the responsibility to her family as well. Um, and we're not sure because they're babies, they could be immune compromised. So I, in, in that perspective, I demonstrated that I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if she went in. Um, because we were at the same stage. Uh, so balance yeah. processing is just saying, when I'm making decisions, is it an alignment with what I would expect people um, to do around me? So don't be one way with yourself yeah. and then ultimately park those morals and beliefs and assumptions for everybody else. It should be uh, basically a clean slate and transparency where you're projecting out the things that are important for you um, to the people around you. And then in turn, your teams or your culture, they should experience, they should know what you're all about and know what you're going to be like, regardless of whether it's a critical situation or if it's a day-to-day -day kind of um, decision that you need to make. Yeah, this makes sense. It's having this integrity and applying that in all and, and having that be a return on your relationship and people Absolutely. knowing what you are all about. Um, and what you're all about, you also mentioned this thing of transparency to relational transparency. And how can we learn to be more transparent in our relationships? Would you like to share anything about that? Well, I think, you know, what's important with relational transparency is that I think the best teachers sometimes are the people that we bump up against, right? Because yeah. I think they sometimes are your most natural teachers. So yeah. if you're a pretty good communicator generally, I think you go with the flow, but sometimes the people that are maybe not completely diametrically opposed, but people in your life might have little signs that says, hey, Roxanne, I haven't spent time with you, or hey, we haven't discussed X, Y, or Z. So I think instead of going, oh, what now? Just say to yourself, what is it? What's, what's the need that that person is identifying, whether it's at a team, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your community, and saying, um, what am I not 
understanding or coming in contact with within myself. And sometimes it's not about you, but it's about creating the space and holding the space for that individual. But sometimes yeah. it is about us. Like if I'm stressed and I'm, I can be, you know, pretty down the middle, then I have, you know, oftentimes it's my son that says, Hey mom, <laughs> uh, you're being a little bit too uh, direct with too many, like I've just gotten five kind of directions in about three minutes, then that stops. So I, I think that relational transparency is to look, reflect inside and say, what am I good at? And yeah. at times, what am I not good at based on the times that may be most critical for me when I'm maybe too busy or um, juggling too many things or um, maybe transitioning a lot of executives transition from being on, you know, at work and they come home and they're depleted. So how are you yeah. shifting so that you can create that uh, seamless transition? Yeah, this is very interesting. How are we shifting? And also sometimes I'm thinking about how do we build connections when we are, when you're busy, we, we also talk in the world a lot now about diversity, embracing inclusion. And, and sometimes people are very different from us or homes where work where it needs a bit of time as well. Can you talk about creating good, authentic connections? Can I use an example of what happened with you and I in Rome? So yeah. I was, I was a speaker at the WIN conference in Rome, and uh, Kristen is the head of, of WIN. And how many women? Uh, four or 500 women. And, you know, I'm getting mic'd up to go on, and so is she. And then I go over, and she stops everything. Like, she's in the middle of everything. And I, I said to her a second, um, it's amazing how you channel attention amidst all this chaos. I don't even remember me saying that. But what she did is she stopped. You acknowledged there was how many speakers that were going on that day. And I felt completely like I was the only person in that room for that less than a minute, which grounded me further before I went on stage. So that's what I mean. It's that, yeah. you know, it's something that's simple, but amidst everything else. But I felt special, important. Yeah. And then it, it, you know, my level of, um, whatever I was feeling my state prior to getting on stage, just you, it was like having a warm, fuzzy blanket that you gave me. And then I went up and was on stage. Thank you. And thank you for recognizing that and having seen that. I think that feels also important, right? And um, Roxanne, I'm sure you have seen many times inauthentic relationships also. Could you share <laughs> some examples of that, perhaps? <laughs> well, I use an example in the book, and um, it's something that I think will stay with me for a very, very long time. And when I was an executive, um, I managed a board, several boards in my portfolio. But this particular one, it was, you know, it's like anything else. There was contention and there was always service issues, but uh, and those types of things. So my particular senior VP was not available that day. It was a pretty big renewal. It was a multi um, year contract and we yeah. were going into pivotal uh, contract in, in Toronto for the company that I worked with high level can't lose this because it's not going to go down very well and uh, so I took another VP who happened to be female <clears throat> in that boardroom I was redressed um, I was what happened is automatically the board was bringing up concerns which now, I'd had tenure with this board for about six to seven years at this point. Well, what happened is this female executive took, inadvertently took over the meeting. Um, she, I would say fired, but maybe not, maybe not as directly, but she inadvertently said that she could replace the executive on the account in my presence on that board meeting. So... Needless to say, I'm trying to like keep things going. I'm trying, I mean, I'm dysregulated. I'm, I'm, you know, lo no longer present. I keep it together. I know these 10 people very well. And what happened is as I left that meeting and went back to or corporate, uh, the head of the board called me and she said, whoever that woman was, please ensure that she never is on our premises again, because this business will be lost if she enters um, or company again and you know for me of course I was having a tough time and the feedback from the board was very very positive they acknowledged that there were things that we needed to do different but I had a connection with each one of them yeah. so here is someone that was inauthentic didn't yeah. really think to connect with what was happening in that moment 
Um, yes, it was an important piece of business, but ultimately, um, you know, she she basically railroaded the entire thing. I had to bring back um, a cleanup crew, if we want to call it like that, yeah. um, with uh, another uh, my senior VP uh, when he was available, and we were able to s- save the business. So that was that was one of those things that I really it was very humbling for me, but yeah. also very telling about what it was like to be. Uh, you know, on the other end of somebody that really wasn't connected to me in any way or could read the room. Um, and if you think of what I talk about in the ROR, I'm talking about reading what's happening internally yeah. and then adjusting your behavior accordingly, um, regardless of what's coming at you. And clearly she, you know, was the opposite of that. Yeah, so that's so interesting, reading what's going on in the inside room and then also being able to read it outside. and connecting those pieces and the cost of not doing that and this is also important and I think now it is connecting with humans it's also incredibly important in this time um, with all the automation and AIs and so on happening also. Um, Roxanne as we are coming to the close of the interview I also want to know from you what what is the dream that would happen I mean what would be the best that can happen now with the world reading your book uh, what would be the absolutely most amazing thing for you that can happen well to touch as many lives um, about people getting connected to themselves in the five areas that I talk about in the book like to really recognize that it starts with you um, as in whatever capacity you're leading, whether you're in a company, a home, a community, a church, wherever you are, that you don't have to wait to make changes. And awareness is something that um, we're so scared, you know, scared around in our days that we don't stop, um, don't wait. Um, so my hopes is that the ROR Plus program will, um, you know, enter a realm on an international level where people can say, yeah, that makes so much sense. It's basic, um, but that uh, companies or communities are able to recognize that by resonating or connecting with your heart and starting with you as a leader, you can make change. Yeah, and Roxanne, you also have this test you can do, you know, authentic quotation for leadership. Maybe yeah. last little thing, can you share, the, share yeah, about that's that, the, please? In the book, there's an assessment called the uh, AQL, which is the Authenticity uh, Quotient for Leaders. And in working with companies, what the leadership or leaders would do is they would do the assessment, but their teams would also do the same. And it's in the five areas, obviously, awareness, recognition, uh, balance processing, connection, and recognition. And then the leader is able to see, oh, I'm pretty good here, here. I think I'm good in this area, but then their team has um, incongruent um, data that says, well, in fact, you're not so you're not so good around recognition. You're not so good around balance processing. And then based on that, um, plans are developed so that we can work through what the leadership teams or individual leaders need to do ultimately accentuate the parts that the teams are thinking that they're lacking out and checking on it as we uh, go through the training and coaching with the company. Well, this is super useful. I mean, I'm sure that will be very useful for many people. I want to know, uh, does any of you have any questions for Roxanne? Maybe you already put some in the textbooks. Um, but if there is anything you want to also even raise your hand right now and say, any questions for her, that will be also quite appreciated. Let's see if I see any hands. Unmute yourself. I'm also gonna see in the textbook, in the text box, if there was anything here. Um, I have a question. Yes, um, great, great, please, please. Roxanne, how do you see the um, focus on return on relationships as being able to help solve our turnover issue in the age of the employee experience? Well, I think it, it can start as, as um, soon as the, the recruitment process, right? Because I think what you should be looking at is what is the fit that you're looking for um, based on wherever, what, what job you're looking for or the sector as well. Um, and thinking what qualities are you wanting that person to embody in order to um, increase retention? 
right? So let's say you're not going to put somebody like me in, in IT because <laughs> I'm not probably not going to go do very well because I like to connect with people. But I think, you know, starting as early as thinking, who do I want to attract in my company? And then ultimately make, ensuring that your leadership team maximizes the capacity to um, join with the individuals that uh, you're recruiting. Thank you. Do we have any other questions? And just unmute yourself and ask Wendelin. Yes, hi Roxanne again. <laughs> um, I'd love, uh, well, talking about return on relationship, I have one here uh, <laughs> who I <laughs> hope to benefit <laughs> your, and take everything into account, <laughs> what you wrote on a personal level. Um, but I was wondering, I haven't read the book yet, um, but I was thinking as, well, we speak a lot about history as well and antiquity. Um, and I was thinking um, it was, um, amongst others, Aristotle said, you need in every community where there's leadership, whether it's a company or, or a community, you need to treat each other as um, friends. And he called it, it's a different kind of friends with benefits, but he meant you have to have a relationship with each other that's that in which you exchange things and that that might be uh, material but that's mainly in how you care for one another um and it it just reminds me when i hear you speak about what you wrote it reminds me of what he says about you have to treat your community either and that applies as well to a, co a, com a company as a special type of friendship it's not your best friend but you have a different kind of friendship for citizens or people you work with and it sounds almost like you are expanding on that sort of train train of thought um from what i i say now in my own words do you think that might apply or be a good connection or absolutely i think we talk a lot more about love in the workplace and i i know um there there's if we actually embody that space of reciprocity yeah at work uh wendelin and wendelin yeah. is uh, speaks um on uh, she's a roman historian and speaks a lot about female leadership absolutely um because if you can resonate at work um, and and someone can feel your space. Yeah. Ultimately, they're gonna they're gonna work really really hard. And I think of um, the best leader that I ever worked for. Oftentimes, I would do anything that he wanted, sort of being criminal, um, because he was so phenomenal. Because he cared for me as a person. So I think uh, absolutely, um, Aristotle was right in saying. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's really so Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is so beautiful. Everything, I think, it also feels so good, Roxanne. And I'm thinking sometimes now with AI and all the robots coming, and I was thinking like, oh, it's so nice to hear that the whole area of authentic heart leadership and the human relationships, and it's probably just going to be more and more important that that's our uniqueness. And I guess that's for another discussion, but it's still important, I feel, to keep in mind. So... Thank you. Uh, any other questions for Roxanne here this, today? I have one. Yeah. Um, Roxanne, I like what you wrote uh, when you said that trust is not like a light bulb. And so, you know, we work with leaders to help them build skills. And sometimes that occurs after they've lost trust with the team. So where does that leader trying to change rebuild the trust? Because it's not like lab mm -hmm. Yeah, once you've, you know, I, and I often say, you know, if you read the book and all of a sudden you're having scarred relationships, you're not going to go all hands on deck and going to go up, uh, try to apply these things. You have to um, sit with what's not gone well. You have to address it and create the one down scenario, which says, you know, I recognize that I have not been doing this very, very well. And so vulnerability is needed. So that being said, the old autocratic way of leadership promoted that, like I talked about when I was in corporate. Yeah. But if you're wanting to reestablish trust, you have to own what you have not done well and ask for assistance from the people saying that you want to enhance the skill. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, and I'm not sure who was speaking. Who was it that asked the question? Susie. Hi, Susie. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Good. Any other questions or maybe it's completed now? Okay, then thank you, Roxanne. We will then move over to the panel. So Monica, if I can have the slide of our panelists, is that possible? The one with all of them in the one, one that would be so awesome would be very helpful. And we will hear more from Roxanne in a little while again, but we're just gonna have a little, have a panel with some other experts that, here we go. So we will hear from um, this, um, I was about to say evening, I'm sitting in the evening, but you are in the middle of the day, most of you. We're gonna hear from Pete Bumbachi, who is an expert in the field of human connection. He's also the founder of the GenWell Project, a Canadian organization that's dedicated to making the world a healthier and happier place. We are gonna also hear from Daryl Moon, and he's the founder and the CEO of or Orient, I hope I got that right, <laughs> and is passionate about improving population health by changing population behavior one person at a time. Barbara Wieder uh, is an award-winning expert in the field of mental health, including most recently recognized as one of Digital Health Canada's 2020 Women Leaders in Digital Health. And then we have Linda Fisk, and Linda is a multi-award-winning leader, keynote speaker, author, university professor, dedicating to amplifying and extending the success of other high-caliber business leaders. And she's the founder and CEO of Leader Hership Global. And all of our speakers on this panel have done extensive work in the field of wellness, mental health, authenticity, and worked a lot with people and helped many, many people. So this is going to be very exciting. And we're going to have a conversation a lot around authentic leadership. So perhaps we can take the slide off now and have the pin the speaker as many of you as possible. Um, Monica, can you help us with that? I don't know if you can pin so many uh, all, all of us at the same time, is that possible? Could be possible. Here we go. Hi, Barbara. And there is Pete, good to see you. Are oh, you having your teacher or your human connection catalyst on your sweater? Yeah. That's all. Yeah, I'd love, uh, a, I'd love a copy of that. I'd love I, that. I like it also. <laughs> Pete, we can make that happen, Roxanne. Okay. <laughs> Even on your hat, it says, believe. So I know you worked a lot on this field uh, and uh, it's great to have other experts here alongside with Roxanne. And I'd like to ask you, um, how does, oh, first of all, maybe what does authentic um, heart, authentic heart leadership mean for you? If I can hear from some of you what it means and then we can see how that can contribute also to our, our organizations. But Linda, could I ask you, what does, what does it mean for you, authentic heart leadership? Oh, I don't think oh, there you are. Yeah, it's about making long-lasting, positive, and meaningful contributions to the organization and communities that we serve and in the lives of people that we lead. I think you have to combine your mind and your heart to lead and to achieve sustainable goals that build lasting impact by genuinely and generously influencing people to believe, to trust, to join you in your mission. It's an invitation, it's not an order. And what might be some of the strengths that we take for granted as women can help lead in high stakes situations specifically. I think that in organizations, we have to recognize and apply the strengths that each of us offer individually to everyday leadership challenges. And I think that uh, in Leadership Global, we think a lot about how women can help shape the corporate environment now so that they can continue to thrive. Um, but I think what something that Roxanne said is so powerful. It's about establishing a unique leadership style based on your own values, based on your character traits, based on your talents. And if you're able to serve with your mind and with your heart, incorporating an attitude of service to genuinely connect with the people in your life, to earn their loyalty, in my mind, that is definitely authentic leadership. Yeah, thank you. It was also interesting how you say this, that 
it's an invitation it's not an order right um so that's very interesting can we hear from uh, you mentioned women i would like to hear now from some of the guys pete what does authentic heart leadership mean for you and how can that contribute to creating a culture of trust and authenticity within organizations well it certainly is everything that linda just mentioned so fully aligned with all those comments and i do believe it's the long game you know we, we have a society that's never been educated on the importance of human connection to our health our happiness our longevity or to the betterment of society so we have you know graduates from the highest uh academic institutions who were never educated on this and this is why i think roxanne's book and and the message that she's been sharing for a long time is so critically important because we are educating leaders at all levels of organizations of how human connection and, and investing in getting to know people first as human beings before we think of them as employees is so critically important. Um, so I, I'm excited to hear this conversation because at the end of the day, I'm sure everybody on this panel is going to align that it is, it's not a short game, it's a long game. It's about authenticity each and every day. And it's about caring about people first as human beings you know, McKinsey at the start of the global pandemic with the great resignation said the three reasons why people left organizations, my boss doesn't care, my company doesn't care, and I don't feel like I belong. Well, those three, you know, uh, leading indicators would suggest that most of us uh, weren't making the time to connect with people on an authentic level. So, and it yeah. didn't just happen in the pandemic, it happened long before the pandemic. It just took a pandemic to wake us up to it. So, um, this is just a great conversation, and I think it really is a leading conversation that people are waking up to at the end of the global pandemic. Well, and I'd Thank like you. to jump on. Yeah, I'd like to jump there. on what he just said because I think he says, and both Linda says some important things. I, I'm a big fan of servant leadership. Yeah, and I'm also a, a fanatic about continuous quality improvement. Who's the customer? How do you really? wow the customer and then how do you monitor to see if you're wowing the customer well we think of our customer often first step is define your customer as the people who buy our product or service but the companies that have really figured it out have understood that perhaps your primary customer is your own employees and imagine having a net promoter score or five stars on how your employees feel about the culture of your company and your leadership those yeah. are the kinds of things we should be monitoring. Now yeah. take that into healthcare. And when yeah. we think of healthcare, it all too often is transactional. It's very unrelationship-based. And yet the very most effective healthcare systems in the world that have conquered price, quality, and access are built on relationships, where relationships are more important than the treatment plan. Because yeah. if someone's not gonna follow through with the treatment plan, what good is the perfect treatment plan? So the best yeah. healthcare systems have figured out that relationship isn't just a part of leadership, it's also a part of the way we do healthcare. Yeah, so this is so interesting what you're saying. So it's not, leadership is part of what we are doing, uh, healthcare, but all other, other forms of serving. Um, Barbara, what's your take on all of this and authentic leadership? I think um, just to add to the conversation, I think the concept of being intentional is, is key. And, and certainly Roxanne talks about that, but you can be direct and kind. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you delay feedback, uh, it can make that space even more difficult and people and you delay learning. What you're trying to do in being kind is actually bring up the best in the organization and the people you work with, but also recognize it brings out the best of you in you. So um, I think creating safety, if you create a safe, psychologically safe environment, people can take risk. And if you have that happening, then you have more potential. People can grow farther and do things more, more uh, uh, impactfully. I think the other thing is the collaboration, you, you know, Obviously, leaders are in often a position of power, but how do you work together? What is the impact that everybody has? 
and how do you isolate everybody's individual impact and the value of working collectively together. So um, I think, you know, lifting people up and recognizing the small and important as well as the big things they do every day. If you can isolate how they're contributing, put it into the context of what you're trying to achieve, it allows people to connect to the importance of the of the overall goal. And I think that that relates to being kind and it, it allows people to, to grow. This is a very interesting, Barbara. You mentioned also like how to be direct and kind at the same time. And it is very interesting now in, in building relationships, how to how to cultivate empathy and compassion. Uh, Daryl, you mentioned high quality. And I'm wondering, can we talk also about how to be, have to have good quality relationship where we are clear and where we have clarity, but also heart, empathy, compassion. Um, who would like to share something on that? Um, Pete? Yeah, I think, you know, and I'll, I just want to build on, on Barbara's comments is, you know, yeah. oftentimes we wait until the crisis before we start interacting with people. You know, everybody come together. We got a crisis. Let's go solve it instead yeah. of early and often building these connections on an ongoing basis so that we don't get to the crisis, so that we have radical candor, as somebody put, Linda, I think you put in there, um, you know, totally agree. We have, a, we have a society that oftentimes shies away from the tough conversations. And yet yeah. when we have the frequency, when we built the relationship, I, I use the example of my own neighborhood, you know, because we have a great relationship with our neighbors, if something goes sideways, like, you know, a tree falls down and takes out the fence, we're not going to start by having a, a catastrophic conversation where it's like, well, you did, you know, it's going to start off with, Hey, Pete, you know, hey, when we get together next week for a beer or a coffee, you know, we're going to be able to get through this and we'll figure out how to get to the end. I think what we need to recognize is, you know, we as a society need to recognize both in the workplace and externally in all the relationships that we have. When we don't invest the time, it ends up causing greater grief down the road. And now we know the research shows us the single greatest contributor to happiness is human connection and the relationships. We know that it increases productivity, optimism, trust, loyalty, uh, collaboration, retention. All the business measures are there and the human measures are there. And now because most of us were never thought of, were never educated on it, oftentimes we start with the word culture. And I think culture is a word that people don't quite understand because it's made up of a whole bunch of things. Whereas if we focus on what is it that we're talking about here, it starts with connecting as human beings. And once we actually create that empathy and compassion for one another, the world truly is our oyster. But if we don't start by actually engaging as human beings, I think it creates challenges all the way along. So it's interesting, Pete, you mentioned also taking the time to do so, you know, and that, that, that can anyone also elaborate here a little bit? Sometimes in, in corporate pressure or even as, as small entrepreneurs or large entrepreneurs, there's a lot of pressure on producing and being fast and getting output and, and consultants are paid by the hour and so on and so forth. Anyone here who has some strategies, maybe I can ask Daryl, strategies on what can you do to take that time to build that empathy factor into it? I'd love to jump in. I, you know, we, um, my company, Orion, coaches people, and it's about building relationships of trust where people will open up and, ex you know, explain what their challenges are. And the most significant barrier to people thriving and one of the greatest contributors of downstream mental health problems is the work environment that people work in. And when we want to address both health, productivity, well-being, Nothing can be better than creating relationships in leadership and in the company and treating employees as a customer. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's the barrier itself, it's the workplace. You know, being able to nurture a team environment where um, empathy, humility, self-knowledge are rewarded those character traits, those attributes, those ways of behaving 
are actually rewarded, uh, whether that's just simply praise or there's some sort of monetary um, incentive for ensuring that, you know, those are the keys that we acknowledge uh, help excel in leadership. And so we are going to build the way that we interact with each other, the way that we um, really reward leadership based on those principles of, you know, ensuring that we are being empathetic, that we have a sense of self-knowledge, that we are humble, and we're humble enough to continue to learn. And I think often the leader has the responsibility of modeling that. I think as leaders, we have to have an authentic communication and leadership style. And I added into the, the chat that I think we have to really model what it is to navigate through uncomfortable conversations. We have to navigate through really difficult negotiations. We have to acknowledge our own imposter syndrome. We have to be able to give and receive actionable feedback in a fair, equitable way that really honors the relationship. And I think we always have to um, you know, model this idea of setting and reasserting boundaries too, because by doing that, we're giving permission for those people that we do lead to set boundaries as well. We're giving them permission to set and assert boundaries between their personal life and their professional life. So yeah. in my mind, I think that, you know, absolutely we have an opportunity to nurture the kind of qualities and attributes and characteristics that we want to nurture and flourish yeah. in a team environment. And then we have an opportunity as a leader to actually demonstrate and model what authentic communication leadership style looks like. Thank you. It's interesting how you talk about rewards and giving awards for the qualities that Roxanne is elaborating in her book. Barbara, uh, I'd like to hear also maybe share something of what comes in the way for uh, or compassionate, empathetic and authentic leadership. Well, I think we've talked about modeling, but within that modeling, it's acknowledging your vulnerability that you are not perfect. And yeah. that uh, you want people to feel that they don't have to be perfect and, and being you know, vulnerable allows for more openness. I think as leaders, and I think we this is really key, is you have to spend time with everybody at, in, in the best way you can. And I think it's very important on how you will be evaluated. It's easy to be at the front of the parade, as we say, and download a lot of information. But you have to put yourself in the back row. You have to listen and hear the feedback because it's the back row, the people who are at the operational level that are going to give you the true sense of whether you are authentic and if you are connecting, they will grade you. And that's maybe not the best way to say that, but they will evaluate your performance and you have to be reflective. And I, I like the, the tool that um, Roxanne gives on authentically reflecting on every opportunity that you can that is your place to grow, to listen to the feedback, but also be reflective of your own performance. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Barbara. I want to know if there's any question, if there are any questions in the larger Zoom room. If you have questions, just unmute yourself, say your name and ask a question. And if there is anyone particular you have a question um, you want to ask. The one thing Frida. that I wanted to add about what was yeah. said is that when leaders actually look at their adult attachment styles and work through it, then, you know, there's a growth that you can come from, right? And in the book, I talk about a leadership. What is your leadership legacy? So, you know, why is it that I'm triggered? It, you know, everybody can get, a, maybe 95% of people can get along with me, but there's going to be 5% or maybe even higher that's not going to get along with me. And how does that impact my ability to, to lead? And that's where I think a lot of the reflecting comes into play because it's about our responsibility to say, um, what is it that I need to shift as a leader? And in coaching leaders, it's really about saying, wow, I didn't like the way Linda spoke to me there. Linda's bringing up some things that I already don't feel comfortable with. So the human instinct is to cut it off. Or when you kind of spend yeah. time in reflection or awareness, then you understand how that impacted you as a leader and why you had such a, maybe a visceral reaction to um, in interaction. And that's where I think a lot of growth comes um, and you get better. We're human at the end of the day and we're, we're leading others. 
I love that, Roxana. You said this thing with legacy to be on a growth journey. I mean, we are on the journey of, of, of growing as humans constantly. So this is such an opportunity. Self-reflection. I see Trina has a question. Yeah, I do. And I, I apologize for coming late. Um, but I love where I just jumped into with that empathetic um, reflection and how, I guess, Roxanne, and for everybody else who was kind of sharing, how does that authentic reflection um, play a role or what does that look like when we're talking about trauma-informed or creating psychological health and safe workplaces? I'll jump in if I can, because I think um, psychological safety for me allows you to speak up and to be yourself. That is sort of a very high level definition. I hope that works for you, Trina. Um, I've been on a journey of late just to reflect on my career. I'm, I'm, you know, was at the same workplace for years and years and years. Uh, I won't tell you how many, but a heck of a long time. And what I did as part of my closure, and this was very important, was to go backwards in time and, and really examine the relationships that I valued and go back and appreciate people. I think appreciation and authentic appreciation pays forward a legacy, but it also encourages a momentum for others to do that. And it was so powerful to go through that. I actually did three a day for an entire month because I had the time and, uh, and three a day is a lot, but to go back and specifically isolate the impact people had on you and how much you value them, regardless of their role in the organization, the feedback and the opportunity you get to hear back from people is amazing. I was trying to thank people and sort of isolate what they've done for me and what they gave me in return was overwhelming and generous. And I think that that ability to do that more and more creates this the psychological safety. I hope love that's that. helpful. Yeah, no, I love that. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, if I can jump in, you know what I what I build on Barbara's, you know, Genwell, the Genwell project is Canada's human connection movement, and and our effort is to build a national movement that's actually recognizing just how much we need each other, and how powerful human connection is for our happiness and our health. You know, the goal in creating uh, stronger social health and social connections in our lives, inside and outside of work, because let's remember. We don't isolate our lives outside of work or inside of work. They are interconnected in how they impact each other. And so our goal is uh, in educating all Canadians, 40 million of us, about just how much we need each other so that we make it psychologically safe. There's no question that there's going to be trauma to Barbara's uh, comments. But let's hope we can come into an office from day one and start building those connections where people feel that psychological safety. I think the challenge that we're all addressing here is the fact that so many organizations were absolutely atrocious at creating those healthy, safe workplaces where people felt comfortable to work and, and come to each and every day. That's part of the reason why I think so many people don't want to go back is because they didn't feel safe, they didn't feel welcome, they didn't feel a sense of belonging. And so, you know, our goal as Canada's human connection movement is to educate people about this in all parts of their life so that we can take it into the workplace and do it proactively instead of, you know, having to react, react oftentimes uh, in response to an unfortunate incident or to somebody having a, a bad experience. I would just want to add one other point, and this is a call out to leaders um, in particular, but to peers as well. If you are not being kind, and if you are behaving in ways that are harmful to others, don't think it's not noticed. People may not be able to speak out about it, or they may not feel the, the culture is safe, but it is noticed and it affects, as you were saying, the culture in the workplace every day. It is a drain and it is harmful. So I just think there are illusions sometimes within work culture that believes, hey, no one noticed or it's okay. You're, you're being watched as a leader, as we were saying earlier, and to be a model every day. And if you don't do a good job, you can correct it by acknowledging it and showing vulnerability. So I, you can hear the passion in my voice. So I felt I wanted yeah. to underscore, there is no secret when you behave well, and you are kind and authentic, and there is no secret 
if you are not rising to that challenge. Yeah. This is very good point, isn't it? Thank you. It's felt everywhere. It's wonderful. Any other questions before we go to our surprises? Roxanne, please. Well, um, I have a couple of questions with some giveaways. Um, so if, if anybody gets this first one, um, that would be a good thing. Um, what was my nickname? And just put up your hand because yeah. you can win the three prizes that I'm giving away. What was my nickname um, as a little girl? Anybody? Because you can win <laughs> two books or a package with uh, coaching cards and two coaching sessions and, and a couple books. Anybody? Trouble? Ever? Trouble? Maybe trouble? <laughs> <laughs> well, trouble that I was because I was the middle <laughs> child, right? So the only thing I can do was to get in trouble to get noticed. I wasn't the first and I wasn't the golden one. No, not trouble. <laughs> oh goodness, Sean. Chapter box. Yes, that's it. Sean, that. Sean. Sean, you win the prize. And oh. I would say <laughs> that uh, she would have read my um, my website because I talked a little bit about what I ended up doing for a living. When I, my parents thought they actually are going to pay her to do something. Um, so Chatterbox was my uh, was my nickname. Um, second uh, trivia question is how many keynotes do I offer to the to uh, in my business? Anybody, just put up your hand. Make a guess. Linda, five. No, um, five. I think a whole lot more work. So, Lubna, you have a question. Lubna, Lubna, another question. Answer. No, I, I think it's three. Lubna, we, she wins the second prize. Thank There's you so much. It's three. <laughs> and the last trivia question is: What did I go to school? What is my formal designation that I went to school for? I went to U of T. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> I know, and I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to be greedy. <laughs> Anybody else want to take a guess? Psychologist. Psychotherapist. But you know what, Linda? That's that's close enough. Oh, okay. I think it's the difference between the US and Canada, perhaps, because in the US we call them psychologists and perhaps okay. Canada is psychotherapist, but it uh, requires a PhD. So I am a I'm a psychologist here in the US and you're a psychotherapist in Canada. Right, right. Absolutely. And I see Jennifer Spare got psychotherapist. She put psychotherapist in the uh, in the chat. But uh, yes, Linda, there is differences in different provinces. We need a PhD. And with me, I have a, a grad uh, a grad degree. Um so this has been truly amazing. Uh, you know, I am I am speechless when I um, along with my team who has worked awfully hard, um, Monica and James, I, I think it's on there somewhere, put this together. I often say, this is what I do when I have my get togethers at home, is I put all these amazing people together because I've met them all. And in a way, I don't give them a choice. I put them together and say, I guess they're, I bet, I hope they're going to get along. And generally people get along. And I look at all the amazing people that were here today. And I'm so grateful. Um, the breadth and depth um, that you have brought has made uh, this day truly amazing. I can say for everyone that's attended, Usha, Trina, um, Usha um, is not coming on camera, but this is my youngest friend. And I have to tell you a little story before I let you go. So I used to go on stage and sing um, in primary school, but I wouldn't go on stage without Usha. I would sing. And she would be my support. And if, I don't know if Usha, you're going to come on camera. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> I would make her be my emotional support when I was 11 yeah. years old. And, and we used to do the talent show, but once a month, I never went up alone. And so I'm so grateful that she could be here again. Thank you, love, for being here. Yes. <laughs> for, ev for everyone else, um, this has been an amazing time. Um, the book is uh, doing well. It was launched formally last Saturday and it is on Amazon. It's hit uh, number five in a lot of different categories. So if you haven't grabbed a copy, uh, please, uh, you know, we want to try to get to number one. Um, it's it's available on Kindle. I would love if you could, uh, if you haven't gotten one to get one. Here's Lori uh, holding up the book. Here it is. I hope you can see it with my backdrop there. You can't. There we go. 
And if anybody wants a copy, um, you know, let me know. We can get that off to you. So again, grateful. Uh, Kristen, you did a, an amazing job. Um, and Linda, thank you so much for coming. Daryl, again, thank you so much. Barb, um, as always, you, you always bring it home. Um, and for everyone that attended, um, you know, I, I look forward to connecting with you all. Um, and if you're needing anything uh, from me, just to reach out uh, through my website, roxanderhodge.com. Okay. Take care, yeah. everyone. I'll thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Roxana. Everybody, let's go get the book and give it to friends, buy it for companies and everybody, right? <laughs> I've got mine all tabbed already. Thank you, Roxanne. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.